Elliot Goldstein is hosting a radio and podcast show out of New Mexico called NMDJ Presents Fly on the Wall. We are building a fresh, fabulous podcast library of musicians, writers, artists, and all good people of note, with many new and exciting guests to come. We are listener-funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ service at gmail.com. We appreciate your help. We would like to thank Alan Gower for the intro music. Enjoyed the show. Hey guys, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall podcast. I'd like to tell you how I got started. Um, I really had no idea on um, the beginnings of what had even where to start. And I stumbled upon Anchor by Spotify. And it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. And I'll explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And um, when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast automatically on listening platforms. I'm on Spotify. I'm on Apple Podcasts. I'm on other uh, platforms. And it, Anchor made it so simple. And um, it's all in one place. Everything you need to make a podcast, you can find in one place. And um, the amazing part is it's all free. So um, there is no uh, downside to any of this. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R. And again, it's the Anchor app or go anchor.fm. And it's real easy to get started. And um, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall and uh, back to the show. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Not Your Mother's Radio is brought to you by Not Your Mother's Events and DJs. 5059335860 or www.notyourmothersevents.com. Not Your Mother's Radio is listener funded. If you wish to assist and help keep the station active, funds can be sent via PayPal to Elliot. Is not your mother at gmail.com. Remember, there is only one L and one T in Elliot. Thank you for your assistance. It is appreciated. Oh, yes. I love my label. And my label loves me. Oh, she's so good and kind.
Cosmos. guest, founder of Stiff Records Dave Robinson's life reads like a who's who of the music industry from back in the day. Originally a photographer in Dublin, Dave Robinson took pictures of the Beatles, and the Rolling Stones' first tour of Ireland. He briefly managed Van Morrison, and toured with Jimi Hendrix, Pink Floyd, The Animals, Vanilla Fudge and more. He clubbed and socialized with the Grateful Dead, Janis Joplin, The Who, Jim Morrison, and The Doors. He then returned to London and started managing acts such as Ian Dury and Elvis Costello. Robinson single-handedly created a network of 35 pubs in London setting the scene for the development of punk. Dave started Stiff Records with Jake Riviera, signing The Damned, Motorhead, Elvis Costello, Ian Dury, and the Blockheads, Kirsty McCall, The Pugs, Madness and many more. So, if it ain't stiff it ain't worth a fuck and here are two great stiffs talking it over. Dave and Elliot. But first, one more tune and remember if it ain't not your mother's radio, it ain't worth a fuck as well.
Okay, everybody, uh, my um, special guest today is Dave Robinson. If um, you're not familiar with Dave, well, I'm sure you are. If um, you ever picked up one of the greatest records, the greatest marketing of music, the greatest um, uh, independent label story, then you know who Dave is. Dave Robinson and Jake Riviera were the two men who um, formed in London England Stiff Records and I'm sure you know Stiff Records um, they gave us guys like uh, Nick Lowe, Dave Edmonds, um, Elvis Costello, Reckless Eric, the great Ian Dury. Uh, the list goes on and on. We're going to get to everybody um, as you get through the um, segment today. Um, Dave, you want to say hi to everybody? Hi there, everybody. Okay. I hope you're listening, and uh, I'm. <laughs> I hope what we've got to say will be of interest to you. So uh, shoot, Elliot. Yes, I will. Okay. So now, um, the, the beauty behind Stiff Records was that um, you, the two of you guys, put this together when the record industry was pretty much um, over. There was no, um, there was no interest in music anymore. There was no bands really doing anything, and. Um, you guys just kind of went back to the basics. You went back to rock and roll. You went back to the to that British pub scene where um, there was still life. There were still people who actually were enjoying what they were doing, who weren't corporate, who weren't um, you know just going by textbook, uh, by the textbook philosophy. Um, your marketing was incredible. I, I remember um, going to record stores. You know, I, I think it was on Thursdays back then that records were released in the states. And um, the first thing I would look for, you know, would be whatever Stiff was putting out. If it wasn't a um, colored vinyl thing, it was a five-disc set by five different um, artists, all different colored vinyl. Uh, that was the Mickey Jupe, uh, Jonah Louie, Lena Lovitch, um, Reckless Eric. Uh, they all came out on the same day, and, and they were all um, related to one another, and they all had the same theme behind them. And then, of course, at the end of your records on the... Um, on the plastic, on the runout, there was always a brilliant saying, we came, we saw, we left. Um, if you kill time, you ruin success. There was something, and it, it kind of became a um, badge of honor. I think the me. word was murder, murder success. Well, when you, <laughs> yeah. when you kill time, you murder success. Uh, yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, of course you're right, and that's why you're here. <laughs> a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of effort went into choosing the right words no, yeah, no, at the yeah, time. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 no definitely. Um, you know, three no's make a, uh, don't make a yes, you know, all that stuff. And, um, you know, it, it was picking up your stiff pin, it was getting your record, and, um, you know, they were always, there's always marketing genius behind whatever you guys put out. But, um, we'll, again, we'll get... Well, yeah, the effort, the effort obviously was to attract attention. We had a lot of artists nobody had ever heard of, which we considered to be great. They're all songwriters, the main aspect of the company was to sign songwriters and of course not all of them were oil paintings and so to attract attention to the, the songwriters who sang we uh, came up with a lot of uh, slogans to encourage people to dip in and have a listen and hope, hoping that that would be the thing. Attracting the public's attention is the essence of uh, you know, any kind of art thing that you're doing, and that's the thing. The major record companies at that time uh, had come to an impasse, really. They were into 
kind of platform uh, heels. They were into coloured haircuts, satin trousers, and a lot of the bands were what they called prog rock, uh, which meant really, in some cases, performing a very, very long songs in the key of E for, you know, for 15 or 20 minutes until people really kind of glazed over completely. We yeah. decided that, that uh, you know, the the... The key music of America, the blues and the kind of Cajun stuff from Louisiana and that kind of period of, of America, that kind of place was a much sharper, much more interesting kind of music, much delivering its message in a much shorter time. And so as we disliked the major record companies because we, we'd managed, I, I had managed several acts that did you know the usual stuff you did a major record deal right. and you thought that you'd uh, got there but in actual fact you know that was step one you hoped to get a bit of an advance a bit of uh, tour shortfall so you could get out on the road but you also thought that they knew something remarkable that they would then apply to your group and the answer is no they didn't in yeah. actual fact they had one slogan for 50 years of the record industry and not a lot of people know what that one slogan was. Yes. So uh, it was called Out Now. And uh, that was as okay. far as they could come up with. That's right. Yeah. Yes, as, as, yeah, as a kind of a slogan. So we decided we would, we would A, attract the attention of the public, and B, we would irritate the major record companies because that was part of our uh, model. Right, they, right, right. they met, as you said, Thursday was the release day in America. Well, in uh, England, the release date was a Friday. And on a Tuesday, the chart was declared after the weekend when right, most right. records were sold. So on Tuesday, every company, including Stiff and, and Independence, would have a meeting in the afternoon when the chart was declared to see what had gone well, what hadn't gone well, what might have more legs, what might need some new marketing things, etc. So everybody in the record industry on a Tuesday in the UK were all talking about their records. So we irritated them enough that they spent a lot of their time talking about stiff. Well, it's great. And um, you're talking about 15, 20-minute prog songs. Um, I was talking to um, Lenny White from... Um Return to Forever uh, a week or two ago, yeah. and he was um, he was in England, and he was um, um, Romantic Warrior had just come out, which is a brilliant um, you know a, a fusion album, and um, he was sitting in a room with the guys from Yes, Steve Howe was there, John Anderson, <laughs> and they were with their wives yeah. and stuff, and um, yeah. Steve Howe's wife said to Lenny, "How long did it take you to do this album? You know, it, it's brilliant." And he said it took us about eleven days. And she said eleven days. It takes these guys eleven months to get the snare drum to sound right. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. it was just that kind yeah. of a philosophy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you guys, well, that, that, that's re yeah, that's that's what was happening. People yeah. were, you know, people were thinking all that production was something that the general public were interested in, and they right. weren't really. They're interested. We we figured it was the songs, and so once we had. The song sorted out. We went, and we, you know, everybody routine. There was a very professional kind of carry on. Yes. And then everyone would go in as quickly as possible and uh, set it down. Elvis Costello's album, first album, My Aim Is True, uh, took, I think, four and a half days wow. from 
recording to the mix well. and cost a lot of different people from different bands took uh, att paid attention to other groups and helped out in backing vocals and whatever I mean Tamla Motown was a kind of an example of what we tried to achieve along right. with Island Records in the UK so we were trying to do something uh, different and more interesting and a little bit you know a little bit more talent flair and style major record companies they're really interested in the beans not right. the tins correct yeah Now you, um, your, your musical um, uh, uh, past prior to Stiff was incredible as well. You um, were a photographer. You you photographed the Beatles in the Cavern Club, if I remember correctly, and you uh, were friendly with Van Morrison, and um, you were um, a major part in Jimi Hendrix's touring outfit, right? You were um, you're the guy who. Well, got I started as uh, yeah, I started as a photographer. That was my in. I mean, I obviously was heading. And wanting to hit the heights, you know, David Bailey hit uh -huh. the big time. And London, I, I came from Dublin, which was uh, obviously a few years, like 20 or 30, behind the hot metropolis of London. Right. And uh, I headed over there like a lot of other people. But um, I did, uh, I did, I was doing well as a photographer, but I took some pictures of a penniless band, as you do and ended up managing them and also ended up doing a lot of other and a lot of other groups so the photography uh i worked for a, a magazine called rave magazine and part of my chore was to go to liverpool and uh, film some local bands that was pretty, they wanted the bands of liverpool right. and uh This band, the Beatles, were playing at the Cavern at lunchtime, and they were one of the bands that I that I photographed. Now, it never occurred to me, and it didn't occur to I thought their music was all right. I thought a couple of other bands were okay, uh -huh. but uh, you know they were good-looking guys. Paul McCartney was very chatty and and a PR man, obviously from a very early stage. John yes. Lennon was a bit surly. And but I didn't uh, spot their remarkable music. They were playing R&B songs. They were playing Long Tall Sally, and right. uh, in fact, several of the bands in Liverpool were doing the same numbers. Were doing some of the same numbers. So there was a period there before they wrote their own stuff and got all that going. And that was pretty much when I photographed them. But it was at the Cavern, and it was lunchtime, and I did photograph the Beatles, and then my mother. Uh, cleaned up the garage, I think, when I left for London, and unfortunately the negatives and various other bits <laughs> uh, had uh, disappeared. The prints had gone to Rave magazine, but wow. the, the negatives and other things uh, disappeared. Wow. However, to cut to the... So I, I went to London, I did quite a lot of photography, I learned quite a lot. Uh, in a year or so, and I went to a lot of uh, bands that were cropping up in London then. So I went to quite a few beat clubs, as they called them, which eventually, none of them had um, liquor licenses. They just had a Coke and Fanta here, here. license. And uh, is that your missus? 
No, no, no. And uh, grandson, yeah, grandson. We, we, we're home with the pandemic, but I'm sorry. Okay, all right. Yeah, well, we're all we're all in that condition. So, um, I'd seen a lot of that, and in Dublin, uh, I went home to Dublin to see my mum and to show off to her a couple of really fancy suits that I had had made in Soho. Yeah. And uh, while I was there, I realized there was no club of this kind of ilk in Dublin at all. Dublin being the capital of Ireland, but still had people went to tennis clubs. You know, it was a kind of a social thing. You went to meet the girls. Uh-huh. You went to a tennis club, and the band were like a covers band. kind. Of. They would play the charts, etc. So I opened uh, a club as part of my photography and management. I opened a club in Dublin called Sound City, and that became the very first club uh, in Dublin, copied by quite a lot of people. Van Morrison, who I had also photographed for Rave magazine in the band Them, had split with his manager and his group and had returned to Belfast. And I knew him just from taking the photographs, really. Yes. But uh, Belfast is not, uh, it's not a place to go back to. Unless you're going back in a limo, you do not return right. uh, in any kind of lower, lower condition. The, the locals are very uh, sharp-witted uh, and sharp-tongued and love somebody to go off and to hit the big time and not quite make it. So they felt Van wasn't uh, up to that much. <laughs> so he kind of split and came down to Dublin for a few days just to get away from whoever it was who was tormenting him and turned up at Sound City. So the whole thing is kind of a collection of coincidences, just like rock and roll generally. And he turned up at the club. He played with the band um, that evening on harmonica. I remember the group. I think they were called the Creatures. And they were uh, a nice average, again, doing a kind of R&B rhythm and blues for those uh, uh, in that area. Rhythm and blues, Louisiana uh-huh. kind of style. And um, Van got up on, on harmonica for three songs, and, and the creatures have never, ever played that well before or since. Well. Uh, he had that ability to cause the band to lift several gears. And I was kind of watching this and thinking, you know, this is interesting. He... He then wanted me to... He asked me whether I would care to be his man, new manager. And uh, I really didn't know anything about it, and I, and I and I told him so. You know, I was a photographer running a club on the side, managing a few local bands just for the interest. Uh, but Bert Burns from America was constantly on the phone. He was the guy who did uh, "Here Comes the Night" uh-huh. and uh, "Baby Please Don't Go." That that record of yes, bands. Yes. And he, you know, he was very keen, and Van kept giving the phone to me. um, And I'm talking to Bert, and Bert is saying, Look, you know, I'll put him up, I'll accommodate him, I'll give him this, I'll give him that. I think he's one of the geniuses of the music biz. I think he could be anything. And I just need him in America. So at this point, Van was taking up space in my flat and ruining my social life (laughs) uh, because he's not. You know, he's not your immediate uh, apartment mate. No, really. no, no. He started. He started early with that, yeah. with a reputation that he still has. Yeah, yeah. I worked with. And Van. so uh, I did some. Sorry, show. could do do talk. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I did. I did a few shows with Van, and he's not the friendliest man. <laughs> he's he, he's very yeah. quiet. <laughs> well, 
he uh, so he he left to go and off he went. I got my apartment back and uh, I didn't see him for a couple of other a couple of years uh, after that. I always very admired him. Uh-huh. Uh, he's he's there's various stories of man that are just quite extraordinary. He had a kind of an attitude, yes. but he also was blinding in terms of what he felt his music was worth. And he taught me to a degree from watching him from afar about the value of the music that that was being portrayed by artists where the major record companies were not really valuing it that at all. They thought their car, their office, their secretary, their whatever was the value, whereas realistically the artist got a very poor poor shake. Yes. So I, I adored all of that. And then... Um, the, one of the bands from Ireland came to England and I looked after them for a while, met uh, Jimi Hendrix's manager at a very late night psychedelic club where I don't think there was a, a an unstoned person in the place. Right. Good old and days. I was, in, <laughs> I was introduced to this guy who kept hassling me at four in the morning. He kept saying, look, uh, you should talk to me before you talk to anyone else because my band had just played in a in a, in a kind of happening event in London. And so I didn't know who he was until uh, the promoter said, you should talk to him, that's Jimi Hendrix's manager. And I had seen Jimi two weeks earlier on Top of the Pops on a TV show, yes. biting his guitar to death. Uh-huh. So I- Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. I did uh, a double take and went back and was very pleasant to Mike Jeffries. And... Um, he was looking, he was really looking for an Irish band, Southern Irish, because the Spanish authorities, he had clubs in Spain, in Mallorca. Uh-huh. And he, the uh, authorities in Spain were fighting with the Brits over Gibraltar, as they have been on and off forever. Right. And so they stopped all British bands going to Mallorca for the summer, which was a kind of a summer shunt to the clubs down there. The Beatles went to Hamburg, and a lot of the other bands went down to the islands, the Balearics. Anyway, he wanted an Irish band. I didn't tell him that my band were already British, because they were Northern Irish. I didn't actually (laughs) tell him that fact. And, you know, that long story. Anyway, we had a great summer. We had three months uh, down there playing in three different clubs. And the band playing, the band... All bands really improve from having practice, from having unlimited practice or unlimited playing. The Beatles in Hamburg is what made that group, I think. 
And in the case of the heir apparent, as they were now known, the heir apparent named by Mike Jeffrey's girlfriend, mm -hmm. they uh, really improved by their three months, four months in Mallorca. When we got back to London, the next thing we knew, we were playing support on Jimi Hendrix shows. Wow. And uh, we went to America with them. And just 10 days in, the uh, tour manager got ill and had to go back to England for medical purposes and somebody gave me a briefcase and a beretta and said you're the tour manager cool wow um and that was what year that was must have been 67 was 19 not the end of 1967 yeah 67 yeah. um my wife actually saw um that um the jimmy hendrix opened for the monkeys when she was a teenager <laughs> that was yes, that was that far Little, little before my time, uh -huh. I was told that, that that had been put up as a, a as for promotional purposes. That, that they knew the mothers of the American Revolution would uh, Carry on. disagree. It's pointed out to them that this is this black guy yeah, was yeah. performing yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, fellatio on his guitar uh -huh. uh, at a monkey's gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they objected inevitably, and there was a lot of promotion. Well, so I think they only did three gigs with the monkeys, so yep. she was lucky to have seen that. Yep. And so and then it was just after that that I got the call okay. um, to be and, and a tour I manager, and, you know, it was a great experience. But... It was all catch as catch can. In those days, the I think the animals, the beetles, and Herman's hermits had been to America, and nobody else. Uh -huh. So now we were on this kind of second wave, so to speak. And it was uh, there was no rules or 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 ways to do it. You had to invent it yourself. So it was an interesting time. Yes, it was. Did you um, were you with uh, Jimi Hendrix at Monterey? No, I wasn't. Okay, no, was I, I, had, uh, I had I had. I had business. I was told to do other business by the management on that uh -huh. day, so I, I didn't go down there. But, uh, you know, that was a remarkable opening of the door. Yes. And Jimmy Jimmy had the benefit in England and, and in America of obviously catching the attention. He was so – but he was always pushed to be the wild man. He was always pushed to be the, you know, the extravagant gymnastic guitar right. player. People right. – People were not saying, "Wow, what a great player!" or whatever. They wanted him to stand on his head and yep, you know, yep, and light do his things. guitar on fire. Yep. Yeah, um, exactly. I know. So, Bill, Bill. so, but that that opened the door for him because his management didn't have a lot of money, and that short-circuited uh, many months of touring. Yeah. Um, and that he always resented it a bit, and wanted to be a bit more kind of musical and do more musical things. But he was still doing music. But people wanted to see him do the wild stuff, which he resented to a degree, as you as you would perhaps. Yes. But uh, it's what got him going. It's what yep. took him from from you know from obscurity. Yes, and I know Bill Graham, um, you know Fillmore fame, used to uh, tell him, "Yes, play your guitar. You're incredible. Just play your guitar." And he and um, he was afraid to. He thought people come to see him do the um, you know the acrobatics and things. And you know, it's really a shame because yes, it's, it, yes. Well, that's that's the essence. The the, the kind of uh, that's the essence of a lot of the music careers. When you look at them, the the, the big bands were perhaps more theatrical. Yes. Uh, it, particularly the English bands, they were they were encouraged to be more theatrical than the Americans. 
Yeah. Uh, and that uh, attracted quite a lot of attention. They had funny accents and they were very theatrical. I mean, The Who is a good example. Yes. I mean, Queen, inevitably, you know, a Freddie Mercury running around yeah. a whole stage all night just looking for the other end of his uh, mic stand. You know, yeah, I remember. Um, yep, gig. yep. I saw uh, Queen uh, a few times, but the first time I saw them, they were the opening act from Hot the Hoople. Um, and um, where are they? Where is that? That was on Broadway in New York when they did that. Broad, when Good God! Mott yeah. did Mott did a Broadway run for like a week, and uh, Queen was the opening act. And you could tell that um, there was a lot of energy. A lot that they, they were going to be a big band. They really were. I wasn't. Um, you know, uh, to this day, I prefer Mott over Queen. But I mean, you know, what what do I know? Queen you know, just, just exploded. They they were just incredibly uh, popular. Well. There was a lot of good music, uh, Elliot, and there was a lot of showtime. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the major companies wanted the showtime. They wanted yes. you to go out constantly and make a show of yourself, whereas there were a lot of fans were interested in the musical end of it. And that whole period, 67, 68, when uh, uh, the radio stations were starting to, the FM stations were starting to happen, uh -huh. Uh, and DJs were playing their own choices into the night. There was a, some great music. There was a yeah. remarkable time and the bands of that time. So I took a lot of my, uh, my, uh, ideas from that period. I was, I, I grew up in that period. So that, that was the music that I was looking at and was involved in. And then you, then you popped up. You and Stiff popped up right during that, um, Pretty much during that time, when, when the bands were getting more and more into theatrics. More Nine, and more. Yes, well, well, the pubs, you see, the the pubs in, in London, of which obviously uh, <laughs> there are ten a penny on every corner, uh -huh. mainly Irish uh, Irish managers or or landlords, where uh, they didn't mind what the music was as long as there were people in front of the bar, right. and at that time, jazz kind of. Alcoholic jazz had had run its, you know, had three or four years in the pubs. Yes. In the back room of the pubs, and you would go there, and there'd be 15 people, and and 10 of them w would be asleep or whatever, oh. comatose. Right, right. And I went around the pubs and said, "Look, give me your worst night. I'll show you how this could be." Because the bands I was looking at at that time had no venues. You know, they weren't, they weren't. Uh, able to play there wasn't there wasn't any kind of circuit that they could play and that circuit became fantastic for the band of that period and we're talking about Dutch Deluxe, Injury right. and the Blockheads, yeah. uh, Madness came from that, Exorizi, uh, Elvis Costello yep. obviously, Exorizi particularly, yep. uh, they really started it. I saw them in a pub one night and I thought that is it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well you're <laughs> they've right. Got, they've got it down, they've got it down. So. Yep. Uh, it became that uh, that scene went on to be the punk thing when yeah. when those bands did better and went and played started playing the universities, then the punks moved in and had a had a ready-made circuit. Yeah. So the music, you know, com constantly regenerates itself, and uh, as long as they have venues to play. Right now, it's what it's amazing to think how how will any music progress or uh, live music. Uh, I mean, it's not that that much of it is live nowadays. No. We're, we're, we're involved in a lot of computer programmers. Yeah, a lot of hard drives. And, uh, yeah, exactly. So, so, 
Um, it's hard to know what's going to happen. Obviously, for everybody you know, of every persuasion and every kind of employment, this is a very difficult time. So, uh, Stiff started in 1976, and uh, we made uh, we made the Elvis Costello album, which, of course, he was called Declan McManus. Yep. Singer of a very big show band. Yeah. And uh, he was very, very good, but we couldn't get arrested. We couldn't, yeah, we couldn't yeah. get uh, anywhere with it. The radio thought it was, again, nothing that they should contend with. They didn't really quite like his singing. It was a bit kind of punky. It was a bit kind of new wavy, which they hadn't really cottoned onto. And uh, we had to change his name, change his glasses, and eventually have him arrested. Here you go. So we could get him on the six o'clock news. Wow. Uh, to to get that album into uh, invention spam, but that's what Stiff was good for. Was is there a way that we can really attract attention with this? And so we were the we were the theatricals. The, uh -huh. the record label was the theatricals. The, the groups were the music. Yeah, and you guys um, knew how to promote. You, you knew you knew marketing. You knew how to get um, your product in front of the um, masses. And and. You know what part? And I'll be honest with you, part of the magic of Stiff was it wasn't the records per se. I mean, it was the records. It wasn't what was on the records. I mean, you guys put out um, the wit of Ronald Reagan. I mean, you were able to do magic with what with what you had. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, records are very exciting. They're very exciting. You know, Stiff format. That, that whole thing hadn't really been hadn't really been. I discovered it was being led around by a, a lot of people. The Indies, the small independent record labels in America, uh -huh. uh, were were the whole were the whole flow of it all. The major record companies were distributors and manufacturers, right. and they had factories. And it used to piss them off that a, a big independent like Burt Burns would have a hit and then he'd go on holiday. Right, right. And right. so they didn't have a constant flow of product through their through their factories, they they really detested people having hits because they might take a break. Yeah, and, you and so that's why they started their own A and R bits to 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 fulfill you know to fill the space that was normally occupied by independents. Yeah, and um, Stiff actually, um, I mean, you you became a social club more more or less. I mean, people were into Stiff, and. Um, you know, Steve, it was just, I'm telling you, we used to wait for the next slogan to come out. We'd wait for the next um, batch of Stiff um, records. Um, I spoke to Jonah Louie a few weeks ago. And oh, that must have been exciting. Jonah's a very good value for money, really. Yeah, Jonah's a great guy, and um, he was telling me that you know a lot of his music was, um, like you said earlier, was inspired by the Louisiana sound, but, you know, swamp rock, and, you know, just that whole Louisiana R&B thing. But you guys knew how to um, put into one big pot, and, and and you know, I mean, prior to the Jonah years, um, you know, with Elvis Costello and Ian Dury and Reckless Eric, um, you never knew who was on what um, record. You know, everybody kind of worked together. It was a team, and you know, I really enjoyed being on the outskirts, looking in to see what you guys are up to. I saw the Bottom Line tour, the um, Be Stiff tour. Oh, did you? Yes, oh, yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And I still have my poster, yeah. the train with the um, wings on it. 
And I remember, you know, Mickey Juke never showed up. You know, the, the, we, we, you guys exed him out. He didn't uh, like flying. Yeah, he didn't yeah, like yeah. flying at all. And there was no time to get him on a boat, really. Uh -huh. so. Yeah, so... Um, he had a song called You'll Never Get Me Up in One of Those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> his album was, you know, his, the, I remember his uh, backing band was Rockpile on his um, on his stiff release. You know, uh, it was... It was Jump, Jump was great. Jump yeah. was still... Uh, he's not still doing anything, really. He's uh -huh. doing nothing, but he's still kind of around. He lives in Yorkshire in the Dales. Uh -huh. uh, but at that time, he was part of an idea I had to, to sign Dave Edmonds, Nick Lowe, and Mickey Jupp and have a, a trio, because uh -huh. I thought the three of them were like almost a Cosby, Stills, and Ash kind right. of situation and, for and, England. And that's the feeling uh, you got. And that was, the, that was an idea, yeah. So that was, that was the interest. He was the grandfather of South End Rock, South End being where the feel goods came from, Curves yeah. and Flyers. Uh -huh. Also, yeah. Nick, Nick Lowe covered um, uh, Switchboard Susan, which was yeah. a juke tune. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, yeah. that's yeah. what I'm saying. Everybody was related to everybody, you know. Um, you pick up a Graham Parker, which you know he wasn't, um, you know, when when he was working with Mercury already, and you know, Nick Lowe would be, you know, some would would have been some you know, one of the writers on some of his tunes. You know, everybody kind of worked with everybody else. Nick Lowe. Well, produced... the reason the the, re the reason was the music. The music yes. was the driver. It yep, wasn't yep. Uh, it wasn't where you were in the hierarchy. It wasn't anywhere else. Everybody was i wouldn't say totally collective but but it was that kind of idea uh -huh. and everyone was very helpful everyone respected the music and the songs and I, as i say we signed songwriters yes uh, all of them and they were quite extraordinary bunch of people that nobody had ever heard of really no, could no, been no. totally ignored by the major record companies which was suited us no end yeah i mean you had you i kind of looked at you guys like the farm team you you nurtured these guys. They they, they uh, cut their bones with you guys. You um, you know, you taught them how to tour, how to market, and then they you know moved on to a bigger label eventually. And um, yeah. I, I always considered you you know like a farm team, and you taught these guys how to be uh, stars. Um, I, my 18th birthday in 19, yeah, it was my 18th birthday, and and back in New York at the time, when you were 18, you were allowed to um go to bars at the you know back then. And um, I oh went, yeah, right. I, I yeah. went. I went to one see one of the few states I think at that time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I went. I went to see uh, Rockpile. They were playing at a club called My Father's Place in Roslyn, and um, Roslyn. Yeah, I remember York. that. Yeah, I actually started managing yeah. that club like ten years later. Oh, oh yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and uh, I was waiting outside with my uh, um, with my uh, girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, and. Um, I ran into uh, Dave Edmonds, and I had a stack of albums with me, and um, I told him, you know, you know I, I was really into Dave Edmonds from the Love Sculpture days, and, and I loved Nick Lowe and Terry, you know, and anyway, they pulled me up, uh, they took us up to the tour bus, we hung out for an hour or two between shows, we had a little blast, you know, in, in the bus, and they autographed everything for me, it was like the highlight of my life, you know, and... Um, he got me on the road to like working in rock. I, I, I eventually went on to manage that club, and then I was managing amphitheaters and arenas and stadiums, uh, you know, for the rest of my career. And um, you know, I thank those two guys, you know, Nick and uh, Ed and Dave. And then you know, I worked with Dave Edmonds a few more times after he uh, rock pile disbanded. He went on the road alone, and um, just amazing artists. You guys take 
amazing guys. Um, Graham Parker should have been Bruce Springsteen, in my opinion. Um, you know, it, and yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But um, you well, he's still going. Most of the stiffs that are alive are still going. So oh, yeah. You've got a record label that's still. Everyone is still doing what they did, yep. and hopefully making a living from it. And it, uh, and the music is good. A lot of the singles and stuff that uh, that you hear from Stiff, I think, stand up very well. The music was great, and it wasn't like heavily produced. No, nope. it wasn't whatever, but it was real. It, it had a reality to it. Yeah, which it, it still it, works. Yeah, it was always like um, you know the Rolling Stones were getting too big for their britches. They were getting overproduced at the time, and you guys came out with a rock and roll line that was um, what they did. You know, years ago, it was just basic. You know, playing and, and great songs. Nick Lowe is an incredible writer to this day. He's he's just you know pounding out great tunes, but his stiff days were incredible. Um, just to, I mean, you had everybody on your um, label doing, uh, you know, the Be Stiff tune, you know. Uh, Nick did I Love My Label. I listened to that this morning before I got on with you. Um, <laughs> just to get into the, just to get into the, just to get into the, you know, spirit. Um, you guys like, you know, you always knew they were down to earth rock and rollers. These guys were musicians and they played because they loved playing. And that's the feeling I always got from Stiff. Well, yeah. Well, they all came through. They all came through a reasonable apprenticeship. I mean, Nick was the bass player in a band called Brindley Schwartz, yes, uh, which I managed. So that was one of the first bands I took on after I came back from America and uh, Jimmy, and that was the, one of the first bands. And they were, you know, they they were all right, but they could do a lot more. And Nick had a songwriting talent, and so we were waiting for that to happen. Yes, and uh, Ian Gum. Um, I've been. Um he, he's been telling me he's going to come on the show, but he keeps backing out. I keep, I, he keeps slipping by me, but I'm going to get yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's like that. You need to get him, Elliot. I'm sure you will. Yeah, I will. Also, um, 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 uh, what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? That came from Brinsley's band. Yeah, it came from the Brinsley yeah. band, yeah. and just one of those again, one of those great, uh, great coincidences of rock and roll romance, yeah. where you know, the, I think the English director of the of the show of the movie uh, had that one song that he really liked and wanted in there, and Clive Davis wasn't too, too keen on it, but eventually he got Curtis Stigers to cover it, and yes. Mick, uh, it kind of saved Nick's life to a degree. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it was aside from financially rewarding. It was also uh, philosophically endearing, and um, Elvis did it, and yep. God knows how many people have done it now. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. It's, and it's bigger now for Nick than it ever was. He does it at every show now, and um, yeah, you yeah. know, you know, he did an acoustic version of it, and and you know, he, it's that still that song still you know has legs to it. Um, okay, I'm gonna let you talk. I'm not gonna butt in for a while because you, your stories are great. Continue, sir. Well, ask me another. Okay, let's get to uh, Stiff Records. Um, you and Jake Riviera put that well, together. Well, Jake and I, Jake was a tour manager for Dr. Feelgood in America, and that was the first time he'd been there. I'd been there, obviously, quite a bit before. Uh-huh. And Jake was, um, you know, a sharp young guy who kind of understudied me to a degree. He probably wouldn't admit to that, but... Uh-huh. Uh, he had a he managed a band called Chili Willy and the Red Hot Peppers, yes. uh, who were an English band at the time, a kind of slightly country bluegrass kind of band. 
and he was very keen for them to be really tough like Graham Parker or like, uh, you know, he wanted, he was trying to find out how the package tour kind of worked. Now, I had been on a package tour with Jimi Hendrix and uh, the Pink Floyd, The Move, uh, Amen Corner, oh, wow. The Nice, uh, and there was an awful lot of bands on that tour, uh, which did a show about two and a quarter our show eventually when we got it really honed uh you know one one band my band the air apparent did uh three songs and you had the outer limits from leeds doing one song so uh -huh. it, it was uh, how the traditional english um tours went on they were all to do with hit singles i mean right. the air apparent didn't have hit singles but they had a manager who also managed jimmy Hendrix, so that was the clout okay. of that one yeah. And so, um, so that was a great tour, and that was a lot of fun. Jimmy played 20 minutes, I think. Wow. And we had, yeah, so I learned a great deal about package tours. I was also very into the kind of blues reviews of the Apollo uh -huh. and the Chitlin Circus. So I was very into the idea, and so I put uh, package tours together. I always thought they would be great, but I didn't want them to be people hanging around and gaps and whatever. So right. the idea was to streamline them so there was no... The bottom line you saw, which hopefully uh, was a streamlined show and just kept going. Just so kept going, different yep. people... Yep. Yeah, different people got on and off, and that was the way. So you don't want the public thinking about their bills or their... Uh, failed romances or whatever you want them paying attention to the music and so that's how all of that used to work uh, Jake uh, saw a lot of uh, small record companies in America they played feel goods aside from LA and New York they played to get over there they got a lot of gigs in small college towns and so he kind of had plenty of time they didn't have a huge tour so he had time to look into record shops and things he, he liked the records uh -huh. and so he came back to london with no money but with an idea that what about what about a record label and i had a management company with graham parker and dave edmonds and uh, uh, elvis costello and various other people uh -huh. and so so we met up one evening and decided that this would be fun that we could do something together and it was it was great fun for about I suppose 14 months, and uh -huh. then Jake, Jake is always a bit anxious, a bit uh, hyper, and you know we had an incredible uh, schedule and an incredible tempo. Uh, so uh, I, I, uh, he and I had a few altercations, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. and eventually, you know, when Elvis looked like he might happen in America, uh, Jake. Jake thought he should, uh, you know, get he should do it for himself. So we split very quickly because we needed to sort out Stiff, which a long uh, negotiation would have been the death of it all. And so we just split what was there. He he got Elvis, right. I gave him Elvis, and I got Ian, who he didn't think was going to do that well. Jury, that is. Oh, right, you and and so Jake, you know, made his own decision. Anyway, we managed over a weekend to solve the paperwork, and uh, he, he you took, know we got he, going again. He took Nick Lowe too, though, right? Yes, Nick. Nick uh, was I was to manage Nick, and then Nick became close to Jake, okay. and so Jake he was closer to Jake than me, and so he went off with uh, that element. I think. 
I think it dismayed Jake for, I think it still does, irritates him fractionally, the fact that Stiff kept going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he thought, he thought, you know, he thought. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's Bacon or Sausage Egg and Cheese Biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Stiff was kind of more him than me. Right, right. And uh, so that was also, it's always good in situations to have the emphasis to, you know, have the thing said to you that this may not work, that may not work. I always get encouraged by people's negative uh, vibes. And so uh, we just moved on from there. Ian Dury, uh, we just come off a tour with Elvis's last tour for Stiff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ian Dury, Reckless Eric, and Nick Lowe's uh, with Larry Wallace. Right. And uh, we got off that tour, and we immediately got stuck into uh, another tour of which you saw in New York. But so we had three big uh, tours of different kinds, and we filmed most of them. Right. Very into filming from the photography days. And uh, it was it was a great period, and there was a lot there was a lot of music around, a lot of people. I mean, London from '76 to '85, you know, there was a lot going on. Oh yeah, uh, it was you know, punk reared its ugly head. Yes, and uh, drove the major record companies crackers because they couldn't work out whether this was good bad music or was it bad good music. They couldn't. Right. Yep. They, <laughs> and and, 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 those, and those punk bands were hard to uh, manage. They were hard to handle. Well, they were difficult, yes, and but also you were my one of my slogans was be very careful near major record companies because a lot of the people are jumping out the windows at, at the moment, <laughs> so try try and avoid them. So, you know, and the stiff came up with constant slogans. We collected them. I collected them, and uh, you know, there there are still there are still great slogans nowadays that make people go. I wouldn't mind looking at that music. I wouldn't yes. mind seeing that band. Anyone yep. who can make that kind of statement. I, know. I, I mean, love, I came I, up with the idea. Yeah, go on. I love the uh, uh, we came, we saw, and we left. That was my uh, favorite. That, that's a very key T-shirt uh, to yes. this day. Yes. Uh, and um, there was <laughs> there was um, a star. The major record is always looking for a star. They're always wanting to tell a manager, he's a star, she's a star. Yeah, yeah. So I came up with the uh, definition that a star is a person that nobody tells the truth to. That's right. Yeah, and that's so, it. That's it. <laughs> and so, you know, there was always a stiff answer or a stiff slogan to make it work. You know, yep. we lead, yep. others follow and can't keep up. <laughs> one of my favorite, uh, that we had a lot of uh, slogans for ads. There was one of give up smoking and give us your money. Was one. Yeah, that's and, great. Uh, yep. Yep. 
And of course, very, very popular one was "Don't fart before your arse is ready." <laughs> also, you know, obviously the uh, the big one was "If it ain't stiff, and you know, it ain't worth a fuck." But you know, that was everybody had yeah, that you'd T-shirt. Have to, you'd, you'd have to listen to the music, wouldn't you? If yes, you, you saw would. That. Yeah, you, you would. would. To, you would. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, just the, just the way you packaged everything was great. You know, um, uh, uh, mono enhanced stereo. Bar- Barney. Barney Bubbles, who also yeah. went off with Jake, but he was the absolute genius, Barney. Yeah. And he, he continued to do uh, artwork for Stiff until Stiff got its own kind of designers. I mean, it's, yeah. records were great then, wasn't it? Because the artwork, yes. the packaging, yep. the vinyl, the music, the yep. attitude, the band, the tour. That's, yeah, what, yeah. that's what it's about. That's it, what the record business is about. And it was not anymore, though. You know, it's a whole different planet now. No, no, it's not anymore. And, you know, but then technology has kind of over, overcome a lot of it. But, you yeah, know, I never got sad. into the record business. To, I never got into this business to, uh, to meet computer programmers. You know, no, God no, bless no. them. Yep. And I'm sure there's some nice people there, but it's not an area of great rock and roll. Yep. The bigger they are, the bigger they are. That was yours. <laughs> that was your slogan. And, uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, when you kill time, you murder success. Uh, you, you guys had some great ones, and, um, and and your product, you know, you could stand behind your product. You had great stuff. Even um, that wave after um, uh, Nick Lowe and Elvis Costello um, were gone, that next wave of stiff artists you had were incredible. I mean, the uh, you know. Um, yeah, we we well, there was more to it than any one person. I think you know, yes. it wasn't like. Uh, that, you know, it was, it was, as we said, there was an ethos there. There was a friendly ethos. There was a musical ethos. There was yep. people, uh, getting, getting on with music in various shapes and delivering it to the public. And the public really liked them. That's why Stiff is very collected these days. Aside from all the bits and pieces that are different, uh, you know, Do It Yourself by Ian Dury had, I think, 56 different album sleeves. Yep, yep, and um, the whole thing was you wanted to have them all. You wanted to collect them all. You wanted to keep your stiff um, cattle, your stiff library intact. You wanted, you wanted there's, to be a completist. There's a couple of guys that sent me information on various things, and I swear to God, I don't remember. I don't, I do yeah. not remember yeah. doing that. But we made as much out of the record, made as much for a reason for the public to be interested in it. We also needed to have success, and and our success was to get. The small team of stiff fans, maybe fifty or sixty thousand, to buy everything that we did, and that way give a group a leg up. Yep. And that was that was how the label kind of functioned. But, but it's, I, it's, I, you I, know, I, it, I, it's the son of an awful lot of American label, like like the music. I mean, people. I think American people were not aware of their own culture, their blues culture, and the incredible music. No, they that the Beatles and various other p- things took, and the blues stuff, Peter Green, Fleetwood Mac. Yep. I mean, you know, they just weren't weren't aware. It was sitting. It was sitting in America. Also, um, you guys, um, just some of the um, sarcastic things you guys did. Um, David Bowie came out with the Low album, L O W, and so Nick Low came out and put out that EP Bowie without the E at the end, B O W I. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, you guys yeah. Well, attracting stuff. attention is, yeah, attracting attention is, is, in a cool way, is very cool. And then you guys had that single with no vocals. Um, I forgot who did that, um, 
uh, I'll think of the guy's name in a second, but if you got the single, um, the artist came to your house and sang it, sang over the uh, instrumental version of the 45, um, yeah, you guys were brilliant. You, you did some great, great stuff. And uh, Well, the, the Whitten Wizard and Ronald Reagan were the highlights where there yes. was no music at all on the record, and, and I think we did nearly 40,000 of that. And that was an LP. <laughs> it wasn't even a yeah, yeah. It was an LP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Man, incredible stuff. Um, okay, so the first wave of Stiff is about over. Well, you know, um, the second tour went out to New York. Um, that's the tour that I saw. And let's pick it up from there. What, what happened with Stiff after that? Well, eventually, eventually after uh, a great run, and the run was still going, uh, Chris Blackwell asked me to run Island Records. Now, Ireland was the model for Stiff to a degree. I, you know, I was so yeah. impressed by Ireland in the early days that a lot of what we did was similar in terms of the logistics anyway. Yes. And, you know, there was obviously Tamil and Motown and various other kind of labels. So he, bad, he badgered me a lot. I mean, I, I was not planning, I was not planning to, to run Ireland or anything, but he, was have, what he didn't tell me is that essentially he was um, broke, <laughs> that he'd run, he had no more money, and yeah. he and he wanted to get into the film business. So he got me. Eventually, he he promised to buy half of Stiff at a very good price, and with the idea that I would run an island and Stiff uh -huh. and turn it into a, a very different kind of situation that might be something that would be sold down down the road right so uh you know it was a good it was a good plan we had just signed the pogues who's another group with a with a, a novel and interesting kind of touch and uh uh i went i went to ireland i realized they had no money very quickly and in reality i should have left really but i kind of like a challenge and I'm a big fan of Bob Marley, so I wanted to do his greatest hits, uh, which turned into legend. And um, that's number one selling. Know, that's, that, that's number one selling reggae album ever, right? Oh yeah, yeah, well, that's, yeah, a, yeah that's a big seller. I mean, nearly forty million now. So um, that was one to do. A U2, I did quite a lot of marketing, got them really into the platinum era. Uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood were very much, unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, Ireland had, had abused kind of Robert Palmer and, uh, Stevie Winwood and things like that. So they were not getting their royalties or whatever. Wow. And so they decided to leave when the contracts were up. Wow. So that was a shame not to be able to do that. But the plan was to, Signed some new groups, but really, uh, Chris didn't like people signing for his record label. I kind of, in, I, I, I do understand it, but at the same time, it wasn't what I set out to do. It wasn't the plan that he had given me, the format right. that I stuck to. And so, uh, I, I took my eye a bit off Stiff at the time because Alan, uh, Paul Conroy, who was one of the general managers, he had left to run parts of Warner Brothers, and Alan Cowdroy, who ran Stiff. Uh, he was another general manager, and he did a very good job. But um, the island, uh, the island gig was a very difficult one. We had to recover an awful lot of money because yeah. uh, it was not uh, viable at all. In actual fact, probably 
illegally it probably could, shouldn't have run any further so getting it together was hard and that did take the kind of eye off it a bit and it was hard then when Ireland, I left Ireland then because they weren't really cooperating as partners with STIFF and um, we ran STIFF for another couple of years but it was very, it was difficult. The climate had changed as well. The kind of uh, distributors and various other people had different attitudes. And so, uh, you know, 10, 10 good years and it was sold to ZTT on the basis that we would keep it going, which we did. A fairy tale in New York came from that period. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really good. So at the very end of the day, um, it was an exciting story. I don't think, I think everything comes, you know, there is a point, the end of everything. Everybody has their day and they have, we had a long one. Well, and so uh, there's still attitudes and there's still people working in the business who started this stiff and who have um, good jobs and a good attitude and have carried that ethos on. Yes, and a lot of the artists are still uh, producing. I know, um, you know, obviously Graham Parker. They're all, they're all yeah, they're all on the road, the ones that work. I mean, yes. Elvis, is seen, seen him quite a bit. Yep. And Nick is out there. Yep. Uh, Reckless Eric is doing well, although he's had a slight heart uh, problem recently. I've got a new band called Hardwick Circus, who are a small, young band. Really? Not small, young, young big band, yeah, that I'm looking after and uh, producing at the moment. I would love to hear and some of that stuff. Yeah, well, they're, they're in the studio with Alan Wynn Stanley, who did Madness and oh, yeah, Dexter's yeah, Midnight yeah. Runners and Stranglers. Mm -hmm. So they're working away, and I've done a compilation for Gregory Isaacs. Okay. That uh, I did it for work for Universal to do it, but then they've changed their mind a bit, and I'm at the moment hoping to license it from them, and they seem they seem interested in that, and, and I would like to get it out. I've spent couple of years putting it together so it's the follow-up to legend well, <laughs> it's yeah, called well. it's called icon well 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 uh and gregory what a voice that man had he was incredible what, yeah one yeah exactly what an amazing guy what an amazing voice what a great songwriter i, yeah. I love the songwriter very tragic very tragic life story he he, he you know he had, a, he had a tough go at it for a while but man that guy could sing he was incredible and, um, yes, yeah, had a very difficult, he had a very difficult life. But um, that period of Jamaican music had those uh, problems. You know, he got sent to jail a couple of times yep. for gun, for carrying a gun. I mean, everybody in Jamaica carried who who was carrying any cash at all carried a gun in those right. days. And also, a co uh, but co he cocaine was tough. Yeah, well, that, that happened in jail, you know, so he got addicted in jail on a couple of occasions to uh, to major drugs. Yeah, yeah. But he kind of managed it. He kind of managed it. You know, he kind of still ran it and toured it and recorded it, but uh, he needed quite a lot of income for his habit. Yes. And that, the you know, meant a lot of his material, very good songs, but not very good production values of any kind, really. And, um, I mean, you guys did great with the madness, you know, the, the whole two-tone. Mad madness, great, still yeah. going, yeah. huge, uh, very strong, probably stronger now than ever. And of course, yeah, they're England's darlings. They're still, they're still doing it. Yeah, um, and you, you guys gave them their uh, actually big, you know, the big push. 
came through uh, Stiff Records. And Tracy Ullman is 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 dynamite. I mean, she is. Yeah. All, yeah. 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 Uh, you um, you know, people don't. Well, really... we got her to MTV. She we got her a gig, a three month gig as a VJ on MTV, and that's what broke her in America. And then, of course, Devo came from your catalog. Yeah. Yeah, Devo, they're a very good example. Uh, anything that's kind of interesting and kind of interesting music, uh, we looked at, you know, we, we felt we were partners to most of the bands. Our attitude was to be a partner, although, uh, major record company contracts, um, you know, specifically state that they're not your partner. Right. And when you sign to them, you find out that that's absolutely true. Yeah. And, um, I don't know if a lot of people know, but the first Devo, um, the things that you do with Devo, Brian Eno produced, correct? Uh, I don't know that he did. I you think know. he came in afterwards. I, I think he came in, a Virgin brought him in. Oh, did they? I mean, we, we did the first Go Go single. Yes, we, uh, we yeah, 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 we got the beat. I remember. We got the beat. Yep, right. I remember right. walking to uh, the record shop I used to go to, and uh, the guy who owned the store said to me, here's, you know, here's an old girls group from Stiff, the Go Go's. And the version you did of We Got the Beat was a heck of a lot tougher than the one that they released later on, you know. Um. Yes, yeah. Well, Richard Gothra, who's uh, an old friend, a uh -huh. uh, long old friend, he, he produced that, but his job was to make it accessible to maybe a bigger slice of America than we were bothered with, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, the Go Go's were a real, real um, tough band when you had them. Um, Have you seen that documentary? Yes, I did. I actually did, and um, it was it was really quite good. I haven't seen the whole thing. I did a bit of a, a talking head bit in it, but uh -huh. uh, I didn't. Uh, I haven't seen the whole thing. I really must uh, catch it. I'm, I'm reading quite a bit. A lot of people are relating to it. Yeah. Also, I um, I caught the uh, live stiff tour, the first uh, live stiff tour on um, Amazon. I think was broadcasting it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Uh, yeah. That's that's out yeah. there if anybody wants to check it out. It's streaming now, so don't miss that. That was great. Is it, is, it, is it on Amazon Prime? It's on, yeah, Prime. Yeah, yeah, yeah Amazon yeah. Prime, yep. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, don't miss that one. Um, why don't we throw a tune on real quick, take a couple-minute break. Um, what would you like to hear? How about... Say uh, that again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a tune on, catch a little, uh, a few minutes. Oh, here. okay, yeah. Um, what, should we, what should we start with? You want well, you know, why not? Why not the damned? Okay, new rose, new rose, and um, I mean, they're the damned were the damned. They were great, and here we go. We'll be back in uh, a little over two and a half minutes. Is she really going out with him? Close away, open your eyes. 
you run away that way You can come back another day I've got a new rose, I've got a good Yes, I knew that I always would I can't stop to mess around Like a brand new rose in town I never thought this could happen to me Dave, you want to tell us something about that? That was an early stiff release. Yes, The Damned, uh, probably the most talented musical uh, version of the punks around. Brian James, a great songwriter, wrote that, uh, the guitar player. And uh, their first album was just fantastic. Again, Nick Lowe produced, Basher, as he's called. You know, his uh-huh. his uh, motto, his mantra used to be <laughs> thrash it down and tart it up I think was one of his <laughs> slogans <laughs> and uh, you know that um, that drum beat on, the, on that is is caused by uh, a biro a, a biro pen a tape to two faders so it would be oh, pushed wow. up at a crucial time to push the <laughs> drums wow. out so yeah, that that was uh, that was very good. They they were that's the first damn single. That is the first punk single right. ever in this world, and their album was the first uh, punk album because at that time a lot of punks thrashing about, but uh, you know I realized that nobody had anything to buy. They didn't have any records that they could buy, so getting that out was very important and irritated Malcolm McLaren quite a bit. So good. Uh, we uh, we. <laughs> You know, we led, uh, and we were, um, you know, I used to say we're not hard, but we're fast. So, great band, great style, uh, still going. Again, another stiff, still going, probably doing better than ever. And uh, Brian James, um, still writing, still recording. What have you got now? Uh, How about uh, Alison? You want to do a little Alison? Alison. Yeah. Alison, yeah. Now, Alison's a good... uh, the backing band to this group is a Myron County band that I used to look after called Clover, and the harmonica player was Huey Lewis in this band. That's right. The, the guitar player, chief guitar player, John McPhee, who's in the Doobie Brothers, has been for God knows how long. Yeah. And um, uh, unfortunately, there's no harmonica on this record, but Huey was in the uh, in the Clover band, and again 
recorded very quickly, very simply. Stands up, I think, musically and sound-wise. Let's hear it. Okay, here goes Allison. <laughs> Seeing you after so long, girl And with the way you look I understand that you were not impressed But I heard you let that little friend of mine Take off your party dress I'm not gonna get too sentimental Like those other stickers are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal.
Okay, we're back, and that was Allison Elvis Costello, and um, that too was one of um, an, an early Stiff single. Yeah, fantastic song. And I mean, it stands up really, really well. Great playing by McPhee. And uh, as I said earlier, Huey Lewis was the harmonic player for that band. They came from Marin County. And we were just talking. And they turned up the. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. We were just talking behind the scenes here, guys, that um, the first three, four, five Elvis Costello albums were impeccable, especially the first three, in my opinion. There wasn't a bad cut on them. They they, they were flawless. They were um, just masterpieces. And um, you know, well, uh, a lot of the he had a lot of songs. He was very prolific. I mean, he would write. He wrote all the time. He would write nothing for him to to write twenty songs a week, wow. and that was including touring and everything else. I mean, his his whole uh, his whole focus was quite remarkable and those songs I recorded a lot of the songs in the first three or five albums uh, were recorded at the Hope and Anchor the the kind of demo version acoustics were recorded at the Hope and Anchor studios in Islington in London uh, after Flip City playing and we're talking about 1974 75 so uh, a good couple of years before he signed to Stiff and Stiff Got going and got him going. So and great. And you said his first album. Yes. His first album was recorded in three days. I think it was four and a half days and a half from days. start to 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 end mix. Yeah. Uh -huh. I, I remember the I remember the price was seven hundred and forty some pounds. Wow. So so as we said earlier, yeah. that might be a little over a thousand dollars. Incredible. Anyway. You know, he he had a great band. They were kind of a remarkable band, and of course, the playing is very understated and very much to do with the songs. And that was really the style of Stiff to a lot, where the musicians were always very respectful of the songs of the of the uh, artist of the lead person, and that's why I think a lot of it still lasts and still stands up now. And he had a great producer. What have you? Oh yeah, great producer. Uh, Nick Nick was uh, Nick was good. Elvis had it all down though. I mean, mm -hmm. I think uh, uh, Nick produced a lot of his albums, but it, Elvis had it sorted. You know, he I think Nick admits that he didn't do a great deal except as cheerleader. So, uh -huh. wow, what a team! Um, what are you going to play next? Nightboat to Cairo. Well, that's what's wrong with that. Nothing. That's a great tune. Let's get this one going. We'll talk about it at the end.
Okay, Dave, that was Madness on Nightfall to Cairo. Great song, really. Um, I remember the beginning of the video because I got to shake the uh, palm tree. You know, when, oh, when you? it blows the, uh, oh, the low wow. thing, yeah, I'm there shaking the palm tree. The videos were which great. Which makes it... Yeah, yeah, well, you see, Madness, the use of it, the videos started up. MTV kind of had got themselves going at this stage, and videos were part of it. And the humor is the key to it. Yeah, see, I, mean, I, I think yeah. humor lasts more than anything else, and a lot of people were, would look forward to the next Madness video. So we were on, you know, on TV and on the radio with each track, even before we'd made it, really. Yeah, and um, Dave was telling so, me, I mean, not on this side of the ocean, but in UK, uh, Madness is um, bigger than ever. Huge, huge, huge. The nation starlings. Yeah, wow. Because, um, you know, they, they, they were overlooked on this side of the pond. and um, you know. Well, they only had one hit there. Our House was a big hit. Yes. Uh, and that, that was the only one. Uh, that came out on Sire. Uh-huh. Sire didn't have so much of an attitude about them. You know, Seymour no. liked them, but I don't know that he didn't see their potential. And... Uh, uh, but a lot of covered, a lot of bands that covered the ska, the ska feeling. A lot yes. of American. I signed a group called the Untouchables. Oh yeah, They're who, I have them. Uh, you might, you know, you might care to play them. They uh-huh. came from L.A. Who they were mainly influenced by the English beat and madness. So right. The Untouchables, free yourself, boys. Here we go.
Okay, and that was The Untouchables. And um, Dave, we're going to listen to uh, The Pogues next. Well, you know, the the refrain of this song is uh, is self-evident. <laughs> and lend yeah. me 10 quid and I'll buy you a drink. Yep. The Pogues were a remarkable. Uh, Shane McGowan, again, an incredible songwriter. And a fairy tale in New York, probably people in America are aware of. But all their material is fantastic Irish. Uh, you've got all those Irish bands in America who essentially copy the Pogues in some shape or form. Again, they're, they're leaders, leaders of the genres, and that's what I always hope people would pick up on. Um, lend me ten pounds, I'll buy you a drink. Ten dollars. Yep. Here, here we go. That was the Pogues. And um, Dave um, is going to stick around for one more tune, and then he has to get running. It's um, an Ian Dury tune, and Ian was a big um, factor in the Stiff uh, family. 
and I'm going to let Dave take it away. And Dave, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to say goodbye now so that I can play this tune. You could, good man, and good man, Elliot. Yeah, and really enjoyed it. Really had a good time. And uh, I just want to look. You know, I love to have. I'm you. hoping you're. I'm hoping your editing will make it ultimately really interesting. I hope so. Are you kidding? This thing was great. You. This was like <laughs> one of the most enjoyable good. mornings I've had. And um, again, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for, for um, putting stiff together when you did, when we needed it the most. And um, I and I, I'm looking forward to hearing your new groups, and um, I'd love to have you back on the show, and have a great okay, day. That'll happen. Good. Yeah. And I appreciate it. So be st be stiff, be stiff now, everybody, and remember, hit me with your rhythm stick. I mean, what a great track this is. The yes. great genius that was Ian Jury. Yes, my friend. Uh, at its finest. Be good and thank you again. Have a great day, and please stay safe out there. Good man, Elliot. See ya. Dave, be good. Bye bye. Deserts of Sudan and the gardens of Japan, from Milan to Yucatan, every woman's every man. Hit me with your rhythm stick, hit me, hit me, Schütter doch, ich liebe dich, hit me, hit me, hit me. With your rhythm stick, hit me slowly, hit me quick, hit me, hit me, hit me. In the wilds of Borneo and the vineyards of Bordeaux, Eskimo, Arapaho. Their body to and fro. Hit me with your rhythm stick. Hit me, hit me. Das ist gut, say fantastic. Hit me, hit me, hit me. Hit me with your rhythm stick. It's nice to be a lunatic. Hit me, hit me, hit me.
Not Your Mother's Radio is brought to you by Not Your Mother's Events and DJs. 5059335860 or www.notyourmothersevents.com. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. 
so don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's Bacon or Sausage Egg and Cheese Biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Fly on the Wall. There are more great interviews to follow so please list us as one of your favorites and be sure to follow. We are listener funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ service at gmail.com. Please remember to share our info. Thanking you all.